Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. What up, potheads and cannabis world, the can of curious, and everyone in between. Welcome back to another episode of the Mary Jane Experience. I am Casey Jones alongside Strawberry Sequoia. It's a new week. It's a new podcast episode. We have broken the precipice of 50 episodes. This is lucky number 51. It's only, we're going to the moon from here, boys and girls, so hop on board. It's going to be a fun ride. Anyway. I'm already on the moon. I'm so high. (laughs) That's a bad joke. Anyway, (laughs) moving on. So this week, we are diving back into another highly educational episode with a gentleman named Kurt Robbins. He is a technical writer. He's written hundreds of thousands of pages at this point, probably, maybe. I don't know who's keeping count. Probably him. Yeah. But we could probably just ask him. He actually just launched to like an educational platform. Oh, nice. And I wish I knew it was called. It was called, but I'll put a link in in the blog. For so him. he's got some form of educational platform out there for cannabis. So check that out. Links in the bio. Um, and he, it, he's he's covered everything, pretty or, or much. pretty much everything that can potentially be covered with. Um, good information and you got the chance to talk to him what'd y'all talk about yeah so kurt knows a lot about cannabis and all of its compounds and all of the science so i i went through just a couple topics that interest me and we started with biohacking using cannabis which I think is really cool. I've always been interested in the idea of biohacking, which if you're not familiar is essentially making small tweaks in your day-to-day and your diet and your in your regimen to improve your life, your health, your athletic performance overall. So like adding functional mushrooms to your coffee in the morning or using which we do. Which we do. Using CBD to recover from, you know, a long bike ride. So we talked about using cannabis for biohacking, which is something that Kurt's written about, which of course just naturally led us into cannabis for athletic recovery, something we actually talked about Casey Jones because Casey Jones is is a wild man and <laughs> I'm just a wild and crazy fun time. That's right. <laughs> but he does all sorts of crazy athletic feats that nobody else in their right mind would do and I would say that you, maybe you didn't know you were biohacking. Maybe you weren't doing it on purpose, but. I had no idea I was doing it until I found out about biohacking. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. you use cannabis in a lot of your extremely difficult athletic feats. Mm-hmm. And you talked about some of the compounds in there that, that help uh, the healing process and the recovery process, which again, I was always using it because I just liked not feeling like my knees were going to buckle underneath me, but turns out I was biohacking. So that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, biohacking and athletics is is how we start. And then, you know, I wanted to get really into Kurt's forte, which um, if you follow him on social media or have read many of his papers, he talks a lot about cannabinoids, the many different cannabinoids and minor cannabinoids and what we've learned about them, as well as terpenes. He inspired us to start our Terpene Tuesday talks. Yep. Which you can check out on on YouTube. Jinx. They're pretty sweet. People have really been liking them. So we go into some minor cannabinoids, some of the newest discovered cannabinoids, some of the potentials there. 
we break down terpenes to its least common denominator like what is a terpene and um, it's just a really fun really informative chat thank you so much Kurt for letting us pick your brain a little bit and we could have talked for eight million hours, but we uh, we tried to keep it under an hour. So yeah. Kurt will be another repeat guest to the show because I don't know that there's anybody that you could say knows more technically about cannabis and the cannabis industry. So he's just a wealth of knowledge, and we're going to go ahead and tap that well. Sorry, Kurt. We will we will make it up to you somehow at some point. Whenever this coronavirus is over, we'll buy you a beer. Uh, <laughs> he's a craft beer enthusiast, which is why he's boom. interested in um, some of the terpenes that are in craft beer, like yeah. humulene <laughs> found in hops. There you go. Yeah, um, I know a lot about terpenes Quick now. plug. He is a instructional designer and trainer and lecturer at Higher Learning Las Vegas. Um, that is his learning platform, I believe. Uh, so go and check them out for more cannabis knowledge. We're just going to scratch the surface here with Kurt Robbins. So without further ado, here is Strawberry Sequoia chatting with Kurt about all things cannabis. But first, got to keep them lights on, kids. In these troubling times, in those states that allow medical marijuana, they have been deemed essential businesses. But you did not get your med card before the coronavirus hit. What are you going to do? What is a person to do who just wants to get a little high? Well, we've come up with a solution. We have partnered with a company called Leafwell. You can find them at leafwell.co. What they do, they actually provide medical card certifications and applications for people using telemedicine. That's right. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. You don't even have to turn off Netflix. You can go ahead and set up a consultation. If you use code MJE10 for Mary Jane Experience, you will get $10 off, sorry, your first consultation with Leafwell. Again, using code MJE10 for $10 off to get your medical card in these tough times so you can still go get high. And you can do it over a Zoom call. That's right, leafwell.co. Use code MJE10. And now back to the show. Kurt, it seems like every question I ever have about cannabis, you have some kind of in-depth article about. <laughs> <laughs> like anything I've ever thought of, I'm like, hmm, let's see if Kurt's written, and you have. <laughs> uh, and there's, you know, a lot of topics that are, I have a spreadsheet, it's probably got more than 230 topics on it. Now, some of those I've written about before, but now I want to write about them a little differently or get a little more of a deep dive, you know, get a little more granular. Uh, and there's always new research coming out too, right? So the way I approached this five or seven years ago is not the way I look at it now. Definitely. And I think that's really important to note is that things are changing rapidly and hopefully we are getting more and more research on all these topics that we've been, you know, just have not been able to get research on for so long. So I think that's really exciting. I was looking at one of your articles and something that stood out to me was the idea of biohacking your endocannabinoid system. Right. Uh, yeah, I started this series. I've only developed like two articles in it so far. I really need to get back to tending that garden. Uh, that was late last year. Um, but uh, I had been really, uh, 
kind of incentivized, if you will, by cycling adventures in Southern California, uh, most notably like uh, Malibu area, uh, Zuma Beach and, and such. And uh, I thought, you know, exercise is such an important part of overall health. And so when you get down to the biochemistry of it, you find that THC from a plant like cannabis is basically mimicking the behavior and even the molecular you know, activity and binding affinity with the receptors in our bodies of a cannabinoid that our own bodies produce called anandamide. And anandamide has been called the bliss molecule. Well, there's several ways that anandamide production can be peaked or you know, really revved up within the body for its uh, health benefits. But one of the greatest is exercise. So, and especially people into endurance exercise. Now, I don't want to be elitist like that. And you know, you got to go run a hundred miles or ride your bike, you know, forever, you know, six hours or something to get this benefit. You really don't. Uh, it doesn't take Herculean uh, efforts to generate uh, anandamide in our bodies and it's a painkiller it reduces inflammation we're finding all these really good benefits from anandamide that again are somewhat similar to THC so THC coming from outside our bodies it's a phyto a plant-based molecule and uh, we call molecules like anandamide and it has a cousin called 2AG uh, they're a little different you know but they're kind of in the same category that we call endocannabinoids it's really interesting my my co-host, Casey Jones, he's actually an ultra athlete. He does. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. He's like cranking up the anandamide. He doesn't even, he barely needs THC, right? He's getting high off his own chemicals. It's true. Yeah. He hikes up, you know, thousands of mountains and it's, it's wild. And then he's always thinking about and getting a lot of questions about, you know, how can cannabis help athletes? Um, just in general, right. even if you're just like a runner that does like one mile runs here and there. Um, you know, a lot of people ask about cannabis for recovery, especially. Right, right. And, and shortening recovery, because then you can train harder without incurring an injury, because that's always one of the biggest risks, right? Uh, uh, and your co-host knows more about that than I do. But, uh, you know, we all want to push hard and be passionate, but you push a little too hard for too long and suddenly you got an injury and now you can't go out at all. And that's like the nightmare for the endurance athlete. Yeah, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not sure that we've come up with really the best recovery tool as far as cannabis is concerned. He's experimented with a lot of things. And, you know, your endocannabinoid system, right, is supposed to maintain homeostasis. So I imagine introducing certain cannabinoids will, will help with that. Do you have any further insight there? Um, well, I think one of the great things about using hemp or cannabis for athletes, especially you know the ones really hitting it hard, endurance athletes, is that there's so many consumption avenues. So you've got topical, you've got transdermal, you've got uh, sublingual under the tongue. You know, uh, we've uh, and because athletes get sore muscles, uh, achy joints. Uh, you know, they need to keep mobility maximized. So between inhaling it ingesting it or eating it and uh, topically applying it to our skin, we have a lot of ways we can approach this challenge. Yeah, you know, and, and the anti-inflammatory, I think, is probably one of the biggest where, you know, it's really hard to say, like, I had a CBD tincture and now I feel better. But just the thought that, you know, CBD or CBG, something that we should right. get into, 
is so anti-inflammatory, you know, it can't hurt. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, a lot of athletes, both professional and amateur, take a variety of pharmaceutical drugs, both legal and let's be honest, illegal, right? Like, you know, steroids and baseball back in the day and things like that. Um, so I'd like to think of hemp and cannabis as, especially if you go with organic and full spectrum formulations, uh, as, yeah, we all want to optimize our performance, especially if we're a professional athlete. Uh, but there are alternatives to some of these pharmaceutical treatments or that may carry really negative side effects, right? We might see uh, an increase in performance, like now you run faster or you run further, uh, but unfortunately there were some negative side effects that came along with that. Typically, not always, but organic or natural solutions tend to leave a lot of those negative side effects uh, at the curb and we don't suffer those. And that's one of the biggest reasons uh, I think that people seek uh, natural and organic solutions because they've suffered under some of those negative side effects, right? Definitely. I hear it all the time from people that get prescribed things and have all these side effects. And they're like, I just wish I could have access to marijuana, but I don't because I live in, you know, Utah and it's so hard to get your right. marijuana card here. So it's interesting, but it's nice to see a lot of professional sports getting a lot more lenient on it too. So, right. And a lot of that's been happening, you know, baseball, football, et cetera. Um, those are big money organizations that are typically not real progressive, right? Cause I like to remain big money organization. They want to keep the money flowing. So they tend to be, you know, very, very conservative. And so I've been overjoyed to see that many major sports organizations are saying, you know, come on, the science has finally stacked up uh, despite what's going on in Washington, D.C., and, and they're taking that controversial pro stance uh, despite Schedule 1. So, you know, uh, kudos to them. Yeah, that's exciting. I think a lot of people are excited about that. So I touched on CBG, and we talked about this on our Instagram Live, but I hate to be repetitive, but I think this is such cool information, and CBG is kind of such a new, not that it's new, but sort of just getting into mainstream, people are just starting to hear the, the word. Exactly. So I'd love to talk about CBG and your findings and, and what you know. Yeah. Um, you know, the average consumer, the average patient in North America barely understands CBD. You know, this, it's kind of interesting because the plant has well over a hundred different cannabinoids, uh, 200 terpenes, 20 flavonoids, and that's just those three categories, right? So we're talking hundreds of chemicals. Now for decades in the underground culture, we've been familiar with THC. It's been immortalized, you know, by Seth Rogen and Chichen Chong and that whole entertainment culture, right? And, and we love that, but when you look at the numbers here, we were that enamored by a single molecule. Now, granted, a lot of the other molecules don't give us psychoactivity or such a, uh, a different headspace, you know, and a decrease in anxiety. So, you know, it was warranted that THC has gotten all this attention over the decades. But yeah, the average consumer and patient is barely into the CBD thing. We're sort of getting there, right? We're getting educated. We're still doing more studies. I'm writing about it all the time. I have clients that basically that's all they want me to write about is CBD because that's what their company is about, right? Or their service. 
so, and there's tons of, of benefit in this CBD molecule. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a hater or anything. I'm a fan, but the big picture is what about all those other molecules out there? Um, and CBG is one of those. Uh, I did a 50 page white paper for uh, a client in Medford, Oregon and uh, Hemptown, USA. Uh, they published it last September and it was really great because uh, I believe the original version before the attorneys had their way with it had about 68 peer reviewed research study citations. Um, but it still has 60 in it. There's just a few that they were like, eh, we're making claims there. The FDA is going to come down on us and we had to clean it out a bit. Um, anyway, it forced me to do a ton of research about CBG and I learned some amazing things. And the nice thing is uh, the white paper is being offered for free. It's not one of those, uh, you know, $150 cases or something. And uh, it, you know, I encourage people to check it out because all right, here's one of the most amazing things I learned from this white paper. There are cultivars, or what a lot of people call strains of, technically they would be hemp because they have so little THC in them. Uh, and we need listeners to understand that the only difference between hemp and cannabis is the level of that single molecule, again, THC. And if it's 0.3% or under, uh, nations like Canada and the U.S. consider it to be hemp, and therefore it's much safer, different rules and regulations apply, blah, blah, you know, uh, uh, all the fear of THC is gone in hemp. Then if it, if it simply goes to 0.4%, uh-oh, now it's a completely different category. So it's really, it's an interesting situation. But again, that's based on a single molecule. Well, when I was doing the research for the white paper, I came across some studies that uh, indicated that cultivars of hemp have been discovered that had, I need to put this in context, if you find right now loosely flour, you buy it. And if you're lucky enough to be in a jurisdiction where you get a certificate of analysis from a certified laboratory, and if you get more than 1% CBG in that sample, it's considered you know, rich in CBG. All right. Uh, Hemptown USA at their Medford, Oregon farm, they were very tuned into the genetics that they were using and they went out of house to get to genetics. Um, they ended up producing a crop and I smoked uh, pre-rolls made from this uh, that had uh, very little THC, 0.07% THC, but that had 13.5% CBG and 4% CBD. And again, if you can get a cultivar that's got more than 1% CBD, that's considered rich in CBD. This had 400% more than that at 4%. Uh, so these cultivars are out there. They're not always inexpensive. They're not always easy to find. If you can't do interstate commerce, oh, the cultivar we want is, you know, the genetics we want are in Oregon. We're in Massachusetts. How are we going to do this? The attorneys have to get involved. You know, it gets complicated sometimes because we still have Schedule 1 and we have these big interstate trade blockades, right? So I don't want to make this sound all easy because this white paper, a white paper is necessarily very theoretical sometimes, right? Now it's based on solid science and research, but it's still very theoretical. Um, what we learned in, this was looking at research studies going back sometimes more than 25 years. And again, multiple, we had had multiple research studies to make any conclusions or to hypothesize anything to the reader. Uh, but there were some cultivars, again, most listeners will call them strains uh, of hemp that produced in excess of 90% CBG 
and like 0.007%, very, very trace low amounts of THC. And I won't bore listeners with it right now, but it's because of the relationship between CBG and THC. CBG basically converts to THC. It's, it's like the mother. That's why we sometimes call it the mother of all cannabinoids. And in fact, it becomes all of the other cannabinoids. And it's not even CBG, it's its acidic precursor. So that's another thing that listeners and viewers need to understand is that, okay, back to THC. Well, THC is a neutral version of that molecule, but there are other versions too, like THCV, that's called the barren version, and THCA, which is the acidic precursor. Now, as the name suggests, precursor means that THCA creates or morphs into on um, something called the biosynthetic pathway. THCA becomes, is the parent of THC. But who makes THCA? CBGA. But CBGA makes THCA, the acidic precursors can make other acidic precursors, and then those acidic precursors make the neutral versions with which we are mostly familiar, like CBD, CBG, THC. Wow. It's I know, it gets complicated, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like fully understanding how all of those things work. I feel like we need to have like a visual representation, you know, some kind of absolutely beautiful looking I, thing. Yeah, I'm putting the other training curriculum for these topics, like a foundational curriculum, and I'm literally shopping for graphic artists and designers to, because these are, you know, kind of complicated ideas sometimes to show that biosynthetic pathway in a graphically uh, user-friendly manner. Yeah. So CBG has a lot of the same properties that people want um as CBD. So like it's anti-inflammatory. Right. Why would we want CBG over CBD or, you know, do they work well together? What really, what's the advantage of having like this high CBG strain? Typically, yeah, this, again, it gets complicated, but they do work well together. And in nature, and I'm not opposed to isolates or, you know, artificial formulations. There can be great medicinal benefit in those for certain use case scenarios, certain diseases, et cetera, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, when this entourage effect that people talk about, and I would encourage uh, listeners to check out Dr. Ethan Russo. He talks, a, a California doctor talks a lot about the entourage effect. It's like, for example, we've identified terpenes and cannabinoids that don't have direct efficacy with like a binding affinity, a locking mechanism with a cellular receptor, but they act like traffic cops. And if they're not there, they don't let the other cannabinoids through or they expedite the travel of those other cannabinoids. So we see there's not direct efficacy, but if they're not there, the mechanism won't occur and the benefit won't be experienced. So what the science is kind of pointing at is the more terpenes and the more cannabinoids you can assemble, formulate into your product, the better it is. And when, in the case of loose leaf flour, uh, if it's good, clean, properly dried and cured loose leaf flour, we know that it has something called a terpene profile, which means it's got a whole lot of terpenes in there, all at these different ratios, right? Same thing with the cannabinoids, same thing with the flavonoids, even though we don't talk about those very often. So they're all mixed in there 
it, you hear a lot of patients, you know, it'd be interesting to explore the science behind this. This is fully anecdotal, but who say they get benefits from smoked or vaporized flour that they don't get from any other uh, consumption avenue. And you've got to wonder, is it because they're going with such a full spectrum product that we get that synergy between those molecules inside of our bodies? Yeah, it's interesting. We're always encouraging people, if you can, to go with something full spectrum. Yeah, if, I would agree, yeah. If you don't know about full spectrum, broad and isolate, look it up. <laughs> yeah, it's the three basic categories. You know, in, in education and instructional design, we always want to make things as simple as possible, right? You know, that's a better model. Students understand that better. And there's really only three forms in which you can consume any cannabis or hemp product, and that is as an isolate where they take a single molecule, and that's a laboratory function, and that takes some smart people with some high-end equipment, right? And then there's broad spectrum, and it means something's been filtered out. Now, did they just filter out 2%, you know? Did they did they take a low THC strain? It was already hemp, let's say, it had below the 0.3, uh, and they just, you know, wanted 0% THC for like pilots and, and such jobs where they must, you know, guarantee that there is not even, you know, a single molecule of THC in there. Sometimes that happens. Now, a lot of those processes will strip out some of the other molecules like terpenes and cannabinoids. So what do you end up with in broad spectrum? So I'm not inherently pro or anti broad spectrum, but I do want to tell listeners that there's some broad spectrum where they stripped out most of the goodness, right? And it's just kind of a crappy formulation, quite honestly, whereas you can have a broad spectrum that's 98% what the full spectrum looked like before they filtered something out. And there might be good reason for filtering it out. So again, these are all kind of complicated issues. You know, we can't just say full spectrum is better, but that is generally my advice. And it's nice to hear it from you too. Yeah, I mean, again, another reason why you need to look at the COA, if at all possible, you can see how many different cannabinoids are in there. But, right. you know, it's, it's just tricky. It's one of those things that hopefully gets better over time. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have a lot of growing we have to do as an industry and a, and a culture, but this all kind of makes sense. You know, I, I talk to a lot of thought leaders all the time and, you know, we kind of scratch our heads and go, gosh, why is this such a weird industry? And, you know, yeah, it, it really, I think it comes down to we've got nearly since 1937, it was illegal, but it started cannabis became uh, outlawed at the state level beginning uh, in, well, a city first did it in 1910, 1914, I believe was the first state law. And then between 1914 and 1937, the states just started tumbling, right? So we talk about federal prohibition, you know, and reefer madness and all that, but we tend to, that dialogue, uh, that story tends to ignore that the states are the ones who set this all up. And isn't it interesting now that it's going back legal again, it all started with the states, right? So it goes illegal with the states, it goes legal with the states, in a way we shouldn't uh, pay as much attention to perhaps Washington DC as we do, and we should look at it uh, at, at the state level. Definitely. But anyway, that's, uh, you were asking about CBG, so talking about state politics is not uh, on target there. Um, I, yeah, I would, I would tell patients and consumers to personally, I want to get as many good cannabinoids and terpenes in my body as possible. Uh, and with that said, I do want to recognize that, you know, there are certain people who are allergic to certain molecules like terpenes. Uh, uh, some people are allergic to pinene, for example. Uh, and when you concentrate pinene, it is used as an industrial cleaning solvent. So I, I know it sounds a little creepy. It, it, I said, you know, when you concentrate it and you add other, you know, uh, but, uh, but 
you know, we don't want to treat this like a panacea or a miracle. I, I don't really, as a technical writer, I don't like those terms. Um, we do want to recognize that efficacy is extremely subjective as we talk about, okay, lowering inflammation, you know, getting ocular pressure down so glaucoma patients don't go blind. They all react a little differently, right? So there's no guarantees here. It's very, it's, it's very subjective. But overall, I say get as many of those good molecules in your body as you can and you know, journal, take, take notes, look at, I always started taking hemp seed oil and 30 days in, do you feel better? Because if you don't, you know, maybe you want to stop spending money on that. Definitely. We talked about this last time, how just everybody's bodies and everybody's endocannabinoid systems are vastly different. And yeah. unfortunately, you have to experiment. There's no just like one size fits all in cannabis, um, in cannabinoids and CBD and CBG in general. So journaling is always my top recommendation. It's hard. A lot of us don't like to have pen and right. paper anymore. One of these days we're going to make an app. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so you brought up a lot about terpenes there. Yes. And I think there's a lot of confusion out there with terpenes. I have friends ask me all the time, like, what the heck even is a terpene? So let's just start, like, so, so basic. What is a terpene? A terpene is an aromatic, volatile, it's delicate from a molecular perspective, molecule created by a plant. And it serves a, an evolu evolutionary function of basically dissuading pests and predators and attracting pollinators. So it's a way of surviving in nature. It's an attractant. It's like, you know, that blinking neon at the corner bar, right? It's to attract customers. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's, that's, that's what it is. It's uh, the siren song. Uh, and if for those, you know, anybody who's been in the middle of a pine forest, uh, there's the interesting thing about terpenes is cannabinoids are produced only by cannabis and hemp. Okay. Uh, that's why they're called cannabinoids, cannabis, right? They're, they're, the naming nomenclature there is very intentional. Whereas terpenes, here's, I love numbers and stats and ratios sometimes because they can be very educational. 20,000 different plants in nature produce 40,000 different terpenes. So this terpene game is not exclusive to cannabis and hemp whatsoever. And that's wonderful because we can harvest terpenes uh, from, you know, again, 40,000 different varieties. Now about 200 of those show up in the, uh, the hemp cannabis genome. And for clarity, an individual specimen, if you will, an individual example of hemp or cannabis will not have all 200 terpenes. It'll have maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen, you know, it's, it's going to vary highly, but it's going to be a minority subset of that complete group of terpenes. Yeah. So, I mean, I sort of, maybe I'm wrong to make this comparison, but I sort of think of terpenes as, as like the essential oils of cannabis, you know, um, is that, well, they, did I not say that comparison? No, I think it's, well, what's interesting on the science and research side is that, you know, back in the day, it was 
okay, we understand that the intense aroma that we sometimes get from cannabis that's coming from these molecules called terpenes. And we just thought, okay, that's it, right? They're, yeah, it's to attract pollinating insects, whatevs. And then we started doing some research in the lab and we found, oh, wow, we were finding amazingly similar medicinal efficacy delivered by terpenes as from cannabinoids like THC, CBD, CBN, CBC, CBG, all these molecules, these cannabinoids we've been talking about that come exclusively from cannabis and hemp. Uh, we were like, whoa, we're getting similar efficacy here. And again, from kind of a commercial and production uh, advantage perspective, we can get uh, pinene from dozens of different plants. We can go to a pine tree, we can go to a cannabis plant, and there may very likely from a commercial perspective be a better source than cannabis for some of these cannabinoids that just so happen to be produced by the cannabis genome also. And congrats, kids. Now you know what a terpene is. It's all about the terps. Makes a lot more sense after that from Mr. Kurt Robbins. A little bit more from him here in a moment. Uh, just wanted to take a second to make a quick announcement. The Mary Jane Experience Market is up and running. We've been talking about it for about four or five months now. We finally got our act together and put it up. You can find it at maryjaneexperience.com backslash marketplace to find cannabis tools, accessories, wellness and health products, as well as some cannabis-associated swag from the Mary Jane Experience. We've even got CBD for your pet, for the Fidos in your life who might just need a little little calm down we got some of that on there too we have bongs from my bud vase we have tools from riot gear we also have cbd products available from the likes of clean coconut uh, carpenter botanicals as well as moon mother uh, local companies here in boulder colorado very cool stuff there so please check it out all orders of 130 dollars or more have free shipping father's day is on the way get your can a dad that sounds dirty i apologize get your dad <laughs> something that could be just cheeky and fun if he's a cannabis user if he's even just a little bit interested we'll have some father's day specials coming out soon find the marketplace at maryjaneexperience.com backslash marketplace for all of your cannabis tools and fun needs we got your back hand-picked products from the mary jane experience thank you for that and now Here's more with Mr. Kurt Robbins. We're diving in now about indica versus sativa. What gives? I was, I did, I just did a video recently and it was all about indica and sativa. Yeah. How, you know, do they really matter? And um, my conclusion is that technically they, they don't really matter. Um, Dr. Ethan Russo actually said, you know, he's like, they're, they're pretty much just nonsense. What matters are cannabinoids and terpenes for the effects you're going to feel from your cannabis. Um, is this true? Yeah, I would agree 100% with what uh, he's saying and what others say. Kristen Yoder is, you know, someone who loves, she does the BS Detector podcast and she loves to go around saying, you know, uh, cannabis, uh, the whole sativa indica thing is, uh, well, she's a BS detector, so she calls it bullshit, right? Um, yeah, I, I agree entirely. Now, from a, okay, we're talking about legal cannabis, right? So the marketplace needs categories. That, now, 
So from a scientific perspective, Indica Sativa is just kind of BS, right? But consumers and even wellness professionals, practicing clinicians, it's very helpful to say, okay, you know, you're a pain patient, you need to medicate all day long, but you have a job to do, or you have children to care for, or whatever, you know, your, your duties in life. You can't get that couch lock, you know, I need to take a nap feeling at 10 a.m. from your medicine. Right. So understanding that something that we may call sativa, even though it might not be scientific, hopefully the marketplace is honest and it is truly uplifting and it doesn't give you the munchies. And sometimes sativa, again, you know, here we're going to I'm going to talk about sativa, even though we're saying it doesn't exist. You know, it's confusing to listeners. Right. Um, but it's that uplifting almost kills your appetite, makes you active, makes you creative. If you're a writer and you need to write 2,000 words today, you know, uh, the Indica, probably not gonna get you there. It's, it's gonna make you wanna eat all of mom's Doritos, but uh, the sativa could. Now, the reality is that in these cultivars, most of them are what I call muddy hybrids these days. And the industry calls them hybrids. And a hybrid just means it's part sativa, part indica. And what part of those characteristic sets you're getting, who the heck knows? Because there's just a lot of ridiculous naming going on. And even the most well-intended breeders and processors and you know, retailers and distributors, they don't even know what's in it. You know, We call this strain Durban poison. What does that really mean? I don't think we know. So... Could it be argued that sativa strains generally have more uplifting terpenes and cannabinoids in them and that indica cultivars generally have more sedative terpene? Agree. It, it, that's the perfect way of thinking about it. I think that's the correct mental model, uh, especially from an instructional perspective. We're trying to teach others, right? I go with this mantra, learn and teach others. Okay, well, if we make the, the teaching, if we make the material complicated, okay, and that is exactly, but what's interesting is we're starting to map different terpenes, for example, to the uplift or the, you know, the knock you into the couch or the couch lock effect. And we're seeing, for example, I seek out sativas. That's what does best for me. Uh, again, what's that even mean? Well, I'm seeking out strains that are high in pinene, high in limonene. Uh, I'm not a fan of myrcene that you typically find in your indica types, right? Uh, humulene, I get enough of that in craft beer. I don't need any of that in my cannabis. Uh, but I do, I want the go-go speed racer juice, right? Not everybody does, you know, pain patients want to kill pain. And if it couch locks them a little, well, if you're in such bad pain that, you know, you're incapacitated from your work anyway, it, it doesn't matter, right? You got to deal with that pain before you can even get on with your life. So you know, we have different use case scenarios. Me, I'm typically tapped into how can I be most productive? Uh, you know, I drink a lot of coffee, smoke a lot of sativa, right? Uh, but that's not everybody's use case or their goal. And, but in amplifying what you're saying, if you don't have a certificate of analysis showing you the terpene profile, in other words, say the top three or five terpenes present and their relative ratios, their milligram counts or whatever, and you can't see that for the cannabinoid profile, all the cannabinoids present and their relative ratios, then you really can't make wise decisions. And it's sad because, you know, we preach to consumers, what did we say earlier? Journaling, 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 right? If you don't have anything to journal, you're like, I smoked some weed, I felt better. That's great, you know, but uh, it doesn't tell us a whole lot for trying to select healthy products in the future, right? To go back to what worked because it doesn't all work. Definitely. I mean, in an ideal world, you'll be able to take your iPhone and 
scan the label on your weed that you bought at a legal store and get QR codes, baby. Yep. Yeah. But you know, we're not there yet. So I just think it's interesting to think about. And I think it's just interesting to, to have the knowledge, whether or not you can use it right away. I mean, a lot of people are still just like, I literally get whatever my dealer gives me. I don't even know if it's an indica, sativa. What and we've all been there as cannabis. We're regular cannabis consumers. We've all purchased on the underground and we've, many of us have purchased through legitimate licensed, regulated dispensaries. Uh, and there's pros and cons to each, but uh, I, I guess for the record, I would say that, you know, you're not necessarily getting bad medicine from the underground and you're also not necessarily getting good medicine from the licensed dispensaries. It's truly a caveat emptor buyer beware type of market. Yeah. I mean, we're always encouraging people to learn as much as possible and then vote with your money to like, or even just tell if you're in the legal market, your bud tender, like I would like organic cannabis and I would like it to be in sustainable packaging. And that's what I would yep. spend more on. Companies love to, smart companies at least, love to hear things like that, you know, whether it's on social, DM, or you send them an email or whatever, you know, just saying, you know, I love your brand, I love your products, only if it was GMO free or if it only it were organic, I'd be on board and spending $400 a month with you, but not the way it is. You know, they, if they're smart, they'll listen to that and they'll change their game. Absolutely. If they hear it enough, I mean, we just keep telling people like, this is how you vote without having to spend, even spend any money. This is how you make yourself known, follow people on social media that are doing the right thing and support them. So interesting stuff. I mean, we're, we're learning. One day people are going to care about their cannabis in the way that they care about their food maybe, or I think there's also always the market for the the bud light of weed. So, and, and I, you know, okay. Personally, I like craft beer. Uh, it's, it's my one vice, right? I say is craft beer. Uh, so I don't, I don't drink bud light, but it doesn't mean that I don't want it there on the market. What I want is a wide variety of products at all price levels, at all quality levels, because so I can dial in on what I want and what my budget and use case can tolerate, right? Uh, we see it in other industries like cars and beverages and, you know, help gum at the supermarket checkout. How many different varieties and flavors and types of gum and form factors and, you know, this and that. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. I think all of us want to see that same thing with hemp and cannabis products, right? Uh, you know, Yes, we want the, the, the kind of entry level, if you will. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, money's tight this month, uh, pandemic, blah, blah. Uh, I'm not going to go with the Rolls Royce uh, this month. Uh, so I think a healthy marketplace offers all of that because all these other industries do. Uh, and why would cannabis and hemp be any different? I totally agree. And, you know, in my ideal world, also everyone would be growing their own cannabis so they know exactly what's going into it. But that's like saying everybody that drinks craft beer is going to be brewing their own. I mean, right. reality. <laughs> I, I think it's important from kind of a, a, you know, a freedom perspective, not to get political, because I try to stay away from politics and keep it on the science side, right? You know, I'm more likely to quote a stand-up comic than, than a politician. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I really love the, the grow your own model that, that you're preaching there. And we talk a lot about product purity the only true, true way to guarantee product purity and that, you know, it has maximum efficacy for whatever your condition is, whether it's MS or cancer or anxiety, 
is to grow your own because then you have control from, you know, the, you make your own clones, you plant your own seeds. It's just the only way to truly guarantee that. Um, so I love the whole grow your own movement. It's sad that some jurisdictions who have legalized even adult use cannabis, uh, either severely restrict it or don't allow it whatsoever. Uh, cause boy, there, there, if there's one way to learn about this plant and how it can enhance your lifestyle or your health, it's to grow your own. So many things about that, you know, like a, just the medicinal and therapeutic properties of growing something and attending your plants, I think is really beautiful. And also, and we touched on this last time as well, but the having access to the leaves and the raw parts of the cannabis plant for juicing. Exactly. That's super cool. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to be said about um, THCA and the, and the raw form of cannabis that has crazy medicinal values. Yes, it does. There's patients uh, throughout North America who have you know, really done a lot to treat some very severe conditions, uh, you know, in terms of like seizure reduction and epilepsy, um, you know, pain levels with fibromyalgia, uh, degenerative disc disease, you know, et cetera. Um, and uh, yeah, would, it, leaf juicing is one of those things where in theory, it's kind of a no-brainer. THCA, the, which we talked about earlier, that acidic precursor to THC, there's a process called decarboxylation that happens when we burn it, you know, when we smoke it or vape it. Uh, some of these oil cartridges, you know, these 510 cartridges are pre already decarboxylated, so they just have to be vaporized. Um, but so for listeners to understand, yeah, THCA is non-psychoactive. Uh, it's the cousin to THC. It's very, very similar. It offers so many of the benefits of, uh, you know, uh, lowering systemic inflammation, uh, et cetera, uh, but without the high. And so again, I'm a fan of both these molecules because yeah, maybe I don't want the psychotropic effects. Well, then I can go to THCA and some of the other molecules that don't give a high. Uh, but if, if for consumers and patients who do want the high, well, that's THC is there. Uh, and, and they're just all tools in the toolbox, I think is a proper mental approach, right? Um, from a marketing perspective. Yeah. We're like, it's all about CBD. It's all about CBD. Uh, no, it's not. With all respect to people who have the word CBD in the company name, it's just one of a few hundred freaking molecules, right? Seriously. But I do love the non-psychoactive cannabinoids because you can take them in such high doses. So with THC, right. it's like, especially me, like, look at me, I'm tiny. And <laughs> so when I take a small amount of THC, I get very high. A, a 2.5 milligram edible is more than enough for me. Interesting. And most people think like that's a micro dose and that like, that gets me there. So, yeah, I would say micro dose is between 2.5 and 10 even. Yeah. Some people are calling 10 a micro dose. Uh, I, I would say a micro dose probably goes up to five. So yeah, you def well, you're, you know, to use the old phrase, a cheap date, right? It costs you less to medicate, so good for you. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I break my edibles up into little pieces, or there's one that I love that's just a, a one milligram that's just like, you know, it doesn't get me high at all, really, but it's just perfect to have a nice day and to feel good. Um, so yeah, so I love the idea that I could take really high doses of THCA I was actually yeah. prescribed it by my cannabis doctor, <laughs> but um, 
you know, I can take as much of that as, as I want. I can, you know, have a lot of this cannabinoid and not get high. So there's something to be said for, for the non-psychoactive. Oh, you know, absolutely. Right. And then, you know, 7 PM and the work, the day's work is done and you don't have to perform for anybody. Maybe that's the time where, you know, the THC, uh, kicks in and, um, Oh, by the way, now that we're talking on the topic, uh, there's dialogue about is THCV psychoactive, the Varin version. And most, I don't think all, but most cannabinoids have a Varin version. There's CBDV also. So yeah, as you know, just right when you start, you, you thought you understood THC and, and CBD, then you'd learn, oh my gosh, there's all these other analogs and these, these versions here. But THCV, uh, and there's some good articles out there, Leafly's got a good article uh, on it. It seems that, okay, back to this biphasic response curve idea, where at a low dose, and again, low is relative, but at lower doses, we get one efficacy, and at stronger, more potent doses, we get a different efficacy, and sometimes a polar opposite efficacy. What we're seeing is that uh, the research so far, and we need more, shows that in low doses, THCV basically doesn't produce any psychoactivity. So we've got some research saying, nah, it doesn't produce psychoactivity because of the dosage that they chose, right? The methodology they use. What we're seeing now is that uh, in really potent doses, it's even more psychoactive, uh, per, it has more of an effect than THC. So again, it's all shades of gray, right? We can't necessarily say THCV does or does not uh, produce psychoactivity. It depends on quite a few factors. Yeah, THCV is really exciting. And I think something that somebody just actually messaged me about was like, I've been looking for a cannabis solution for weight loss. And I had it's just great. talked to you about THCV, and I was like, apparently. It's <laughs> great for it. Again. Yeah. And also promoting bone growth. Um, so if you're you know, worried about osteoporosis or things like that, I mean, a lot of potential. So, and I guess. A Delta 3 carine is a terpene that's good for bone repair and bone growth and overall bone health. Uh, Delta 3 carine. So, and I, and I noticed that you recently posted something about a couple really newly discovered cannabinoids, CBDP and THCP. Yes. Um, yeah, there are foral versions and an Italian study that was released, uh, like I think we all forgot about it because of the pandemic, but it was released on December 30th, 2019. And uh, we had theorized this other family of analogs. Okay, we've got the acidic precursors, right? The THCA version, the A, the analog version, uh, the uh, acidic precursor version, rather. And then we've got the neutral version, example is THC. And then we got the Varin version, THCV. Well, now we've discovered, we've found evidence. This, this study basically said, hey, what we thought might exist does exist. And it's CD, CBDP, and it's called the foral version. And it comes down to the number of carbon atoms that reside in the molecule. Is it three, is it five, is it seven? Uh, and these slight little tweaks to the molecular structure sometimes make uh, quite a big difference. Wow, I mean, it's all just so fascinating to me. I guess I'm kind of a cannabis nerd, but I feel like I could talk about this for just days, you know, hours on end. And, um, and I would love to steal your time for that long, but I won't <laughs> <do> it. <laughs> but what I will say is that 
Kurt has about a million really informative articles, and I'm going to link all of those in the in our blog that is going to be a transcription of this episode, cool. as well as just underneath in the podcast description. So everyone can check those out and dive super duper deep into all the things that we touched on here. So, Kurt, um, is there anything else you want to add before we close out? Uh, just, um, you know, I like you're saying, I would encourage uh, listeners to do their own research, find good sources of information. And I don't necessarily want to dictate or preach what those are, uh, but, uh, or maybe it's an individual researcher, like, uh, you know, or practicing clinician like Dr. Ben Kaplan in Boston or Ethan Russo in California. Um, and maybe you tap into them, follow them on social or search for the research papers or, you know, whatever content they're putting out, but find reliable sources of information. And yeah, keep, uh, keep your nose to the grindstone because it's changing all the time. We're talking about research that just came out a couple months ago. And guess what? A couple months from now, we're going to see some more groundbreaking research. It just never ends. It's true. It's, it's what makes it so fun and interesting, but also what makes it really difficult to keep up on. <laughs> It it does. So yeah, if you don't like, you know, doing research and, and having to constantly renew kind of your knowledge set, uh, then I can see how this industry might be a little exhausting for people. But uh, for those of us who are kind of research nerds and, you know, we want to get into the biochemistry and those background mechanisms and what's going on here. Uh, oh my God, it's like a playground, right? It's a fantasy because there's always new research. Um, I, you know, my viewpoint on these molecules, terpenes and cannabinoids, uh, produced by this plant, uh, like kind of like I thought I knew what I was talking about five or six years ago and I really didn't. Right. So what's that say about today's perspective, right? How much more am I going to learn in the next three or five or 10 years? All of us have an amazing opportunity. Um, you know, but I just want people, consumers and patients to get educated. So, there's some unscrupulous, you know, companies out there, right? That's just the world. I'm, I'm, it's not the end of the world. It's just the world, right? And people need to understand, you know, somebody at work said that CBD is good for my arthritis. Is that true? And they need to understand that's not an easy answer, but the answer is in there. And it does involve some experimentation, perhaps journaling, you know, other things. But uh, educate thyself and then go experiment. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate what you're doing and I encourage people to follow Kurt on social media because if you don't have a lot of time for research, it's really great to just get those little like social tidbits um, in two sentences that, that give you a little something to talk about at least around the dinner table. So That's basically my whole job is an research, <laughs> analyze, summarize, spit it out and do it all over again. So yeah, I think you That's just, awesome. in a nutshell, you described what I do. <laughs> I know you so well now. <laughs> Two interviews is all it takes. <laughs> That's right. I'll give up all the secrets. Thank you so much um, for sharing your knowledge. And Thank for you. you do, and I look forward to sharing this with everybody. Oh, thank, thanks for having me. You know, I love what you guys are doing and good luck with it. Thank you so much. Well, can't wait to hang out in person one of these days when this is all Eventually. <laughs> all right. Well, have a great day. Hey, thanks again. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Take care now. Bye. Basically. <laughs> Yes. That motherfucker straight up just went to weed college or some shit.
No, he does remind me when I hear people talking about um, this. Hear talking about weed at this level of technical knowledge. It reminds me of that scene from Half Baked where he's like, you can see the little red hairs and has the little piney taste to it. And Dave Chappelle's response, what the fuck? You go to weed college? Damn. Um, it's it's incredible, of course, because there's so much still to find out. Um, and just thinking about everything that he knows, how much more we're going to know. Definitely. So it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've been digging into a lot is just providing people with these tidbits so you know it's sort of hard to kurt writes these massive 50 page white papers about one cannabinoid and um you know it's super fun and and he knows everything but it's also we've been trying really hard here at the mary jane experience to just offer people digestible content that gives you everything you need to know in a short amount of time so Kurt inspired us definitely to do some YouTube series in like under three minutes just what's a cannabinoid what's a terpene what is the terpene linalool so that's super fun and cool to check out thank you Kurt for inspiring us to dive a lot deeper into cannabis science it's been a really fun journey absolutely and these are the kinds of questions that we had that actually drove us to start the Mary Jane experience um, so it's very interesting to be able to come up with those answers and talk to the people that do have the answers and then being able to provide those answers to people in a very digestible fashion. Uh, things like your Terpene Tuesday videos, um, our edutainment series is that we're doing again with our partner Leafwell. Uh, we'll be doing another doctor panel. We're uh, talking to some lawyers soon as well. So stay tuned. Uh, the education will never stop here in Mary Jane Experience. Also, the entertainment will never stop. I will continue to make really bad references to movies that nobody's seen while Strawberry Sequoia continues to throw dad jokes from left field. <laughs> it's going to be a blast, everybody. <laughs> That's right. And make sure to check us out on our other channels because there's only so much we can do in long format. You know, yeah. I, I love the podcast because it's long format, but every channel that we're on is like something a little different so on instagram we do a lot of custom photography and then we talk about you know we sort of visualize the education yeah. and then on youtube we're making all these fun videos and we're doing a ton of events so if you're if you're up to date on our you know our facebook for example you get all of these event invites so you know just follow along play along with us because we're having a lot of fun and we're about to have more fun on the road in the Canavan, so definitely check that out as well. New update there. We are hitting the road on July 1st, uh, so we're going to be trolling around the country. Um, if you have a place in mind, let us know. Hit us up. We'll come visit you. We are going to be mobile in about a month and a half, July 1st, Look 2020. Yeah. Also, um, if you're in Georgia... Yeah, what is going on in Georgia? <laughs> Georgia is now like our most listened to state for the podcast. If anybody's in Georgia listening right now tell us why we are so popular we are dying to know anyway we do thank you though thanks georgia for following along georgia yeah, shout out to georgia, georgia. What up? um okay shout well, out to all 50 you. states because we have listeners in all of you so thank you so much anyway thank you thank you thank you i'll let you do the sign off it sounded like you were you were coming in hot there and i interrupted i apologize <laughs> casey jones wants these episodes to always last like eight hours at the end but i would literally let's talk give you your day back <laughs> thank you so much for listening and let us know what questions you have so we can cover that in our next episodes but we love you and we will see you soon peace out potheads good night stoners <laughs>